as you guys know, uh, Christmas is right around the corner, right? Uh, who doesn't love uh, receiving a big old gift, man? We all love, you know, the bigger the box, the better. The Christmas time is coming up. Before you guys know it, you'll be decking the halls and jingling the bells and all that good stuff. And in fact, some of you are ahead of the curve and already got a tree up and got your Christmas decorations up uh, and everything. Uh, but before you know it, Christmas trees will be going up and gifts will be begin to find their way, you know, under those trees. Now, there's something about seeing a uh, huge box under the tree, right? Everybody loves it. The bigger the box, the better. So you think, man, something, whatever's in there, it's something that's good, right? It's something that they spent a lot of money on me, especially if it's, you know, beautifully wrapped and everything. And, and as soon as you see that box under the tree, you go and you try to find who, whose name is on it, right? Is this for me? Who, who bought this for me? Now, I want you guys to imagine something. Imagine that uh, you, you see a big old gift, and it's beautifully gift-wrapped, and it has your name on it. The anticipation of having to wait for Christmas to open it up. Imagine, imagine you wait. You patiently waited all this time. And so Christmas morning, uh, whatever, the, whatever your tradition is, if you stay up till midnight the night before, or, or Christmas morning, you get up, you run in your jammies to the tree, and uh, the first one you want to go to is that big old box, right? You want to open up. And so you just like, right, no respect for the paper, you just begin to like, open it up, and, and you want to see who, what is it, what's been under the tree all this time, and you peel back the paper, you break it off, you make this huge mess, and then, of course, you know, people that, you know, you, you got to love the folks that put tape all over the box or whatever, so you got to, like, peel the tape, and so you peel the tape all off, and you're excited, you, you open up the box, and your, your eyes are big, and you're smiling, and then you look in, and, and all you see is an empty box. And what, what's the feeling that you get? Imagine, imagine this big old box under the tree, beautifully gift wrapped, all taped up, and you open it up, and it's, and it's empty. Hey, guys, what if this was representative of you? What if this hollow box, this empty box, was representative of us? What would God think about our lives and our worship to him? For many of us, you know, maybe we look real good on the outside. We got our church clothes on, got a haircut, got our hair done, got makeup, smiles on our faces. Or maybe you've been singing along to the words on the screen. Maybe you're taking real good notes during the message. But if God were to rip off the paper and take off the tape and peel back the tabs, would he find, would he find an empty box? Would he, what he found, would it be hollow? You know, for many of us, this is the worship that we offer. This is the worship we offer to God. It's a hollow worship. Because maybe we're all wrapped up and decked out and pretty on the outside. But inside, we're offering God empty gifts. Why? Because our hearts are far from Him. You know, we're in this very challenging series. It's called, What Would Jesus Undo? And we've been looking at the very words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, we're looking at those red letters, the words of Jesus, and we're looking at the things that broke his heart, the things that he would want to undo from our lives. And last week, we said that Jesus would undo spiritual indifference, right? That's the spiritual apathy that we so often have to fight against. We spoke about how self-sufficiency and the distractions of this world are two contributing factors as to why we grow spiritually apathetic. Today, we're talking about hollow worship. And so to help frame our time together, we're going to be taking a closer look at a passage from, from the Gospel of Matthew. 
The book of Matthew is one of four Gospels found in the New Testament. And Gospel means good news. And in these four books, they were written just to share about the life, the, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what these Gospels are all about. And in Matthew 15, we read about an incident, an incident between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the characters that we're going to read about. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, these were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. You can say these were the, the priests and the pastors and the, the Bible teachers. So they're a part of the story. And then we have Jesus himself. And then we also have Jesus' disciples, his students. These are the main characters that we're going to be looking at in this passage in order for us to get a better understanding. Let's read Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. You guys have it? It's in your notes and it's also on the screen. It says this, Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. These are the religious leaders. And they asked him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And here's what they are claiming they, they did or missed. For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, let me try to explain what's going on here. The religious leaders are accusing the disciples of not washing their hands. Uh, but not just the good habit that everyone should do kind, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, guys, washing your hands is a good idea, okay? You're not a cat, so don't lick all the germs off of your hands. Use a sink and use soap, right? What they're referring to is a ceremonial washing before the breaking of bread. It was a serious gesture that was take, that was be taken very seriously. You couldn't even speak during the ceremonial washing of your hands. If you did, the blessing was broken. In fact, I have a picture for you guys to look at. Uh, it should be on the screen in just a second. You see, what would be done is they would fill a cup with water, and they would proceed to pour out their cup uh, with their hands pointing downward from the wrist to their fingertips. First, the left hand over the right, and then the right hand over the left, and their hands had to point downward to make sure that no unclean water would drip down their arms. And they would make sure they would point it down. And before drying their hands, while it was still wet, while the, the impure you know, water was dripping off their hands, they would say a prayer. They would say a blessing before they dry their hands. Never after, never during, always after. And after they would say the, player, the, the prayer and the blessing, then they would grab uh, a, a washcloth and they would dry their hands and then only then could they finally eat it was this whole ceremonial religious ritual that they had in place especially it was for the elite it was for the most spiritual and the devout worshiper of the most high god but jesus disciples of course never want to follow the rules or mind their manners they went in on the food and the religious leaders were accusing them of breaking the rules but beyond them what they were doing was calling them unclean. <clears throat> For the devout Jew, there was only two categories. You were either clean or unclean. And something that is unclean can contaminate something that is clean. So when the religious leaders uh, saw that the disciples had not ceremonially washed their hands, they viewed them not only as unclean and impure on the outside, but they equated that to their heart and their lives as well. So while well, Jesus, when he heard this, he unleashed on the religious leaders. I want you guys to check it out. In Matthew 15, verse 7 and 9, can you guys see if you can read into the attitude with which Jesus is responding, you know, his tone of voice here. Uh, look at verse 7 through 9. He says, hypocrites, 
Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. He's referring to an Old Testament uh, prophecy, an Old Testament writing in the book of Isaiah. He says he prophesied correctly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Would you guys underline the part right there in verse 9 where it says they worship me in vain? And here's what Jesus is essentially saying. He's saying, you hypocritical bozos. All you do is gossip. All you do is criticize. All you do is condemn people. You're obsessing over the externals when God looks at the heart. Your worship of God is in vain. Your ceremonial washing is in vain because it is hollow worship. Your hands may look clean on the outside, but your heart and your mind are full of filth. And Jesus unleashes on them. And this might be, honestly, where many of us find ourselves this morning. Yeah, we might look alright on the outside. We're pretending to hold it all together. Maybe we clap our hands. Maybe we sing along. Maybe we even say amen during the message. But internally, our hearts are far from God. And all we're offering up is hallow worship. Now, before we continue, we got to kind of, you know, define this thing. What is worship? What is worship anyway? You know, depending on your upbringing or your background, you might have a different interpretation of what worship looks like. If you're a new Christian or if you're just kicking the tires of Christianity and perhaps you enter church and you think to yourself, you know, man, why are these weirdos singing? Does God enjoy being serenaded, right? What is this Jesus karaoke? Like, what is this? If you attended a more liturgical tradition, then maybe worship for you was singing songs from a hymnal. You had a book and you had to read the words. And maybe you sang along to, to uh, an organ and a choir dressed up in robes. And the service was more reverent and it was more respectful and it was more quiet. I did not come from that sort of tradition, uh, but I did once attend a service like that here in, uh, in Bushwick. Uh, being that I've never been exposed to, to that sort of liturgical kind of experience, it was an interesting experience for me. Uh, I went to this church. There was a lot of people there. It's a big church on Bushwick Avenue. And I went to visit, you know, one day. And it was funny, man. Everybody would stand up. Nobody said stand up and rise. Like, everybody just stood up. And I'll be sitting down. I was like, okay, I guess it's my time to stand up. And then everybody would sit down. And I was like a dummy standing up. And so I had to sit down. And then sometimes, you know, the priest or the pastor, he would say something. And people would, re re like, recite something after. They would finish a sentence. And I was like, oh, man, I'm missing out. I, I didn't understand. And then all of a sudden, uh, the priest or uh, pastor started walking around and he was throwing some smoke everywhere. And I was like, man, what am I breathing? Is he trying to intoxicate us? Or what is he trying to do here? I was out of the loop completely. It was a weird experience. Now, maybe you grew up in that tradition and it's not, you know, it's something you're used to, something you know. But for me, not being from that tradition, I was like, wow, this is something new. And it's, it was a new experience. Now, maybe you came from a more charismatic expression of worship. That's more of my tradition. The music was loud, and, uh, and the songs had beginnings, but sometimes you didn't know when they were going to end. But you knew they started. You didn't know when they ended. Uh, and it was a participatory worship. Guess that, get this. Everyone was a part of the band. Whether you had a musical bone in your body or not, you were part of the band. There was tambourines. There was guidos, maracas, bongos everywhere. Everybody participated. Everybody sang along. Everybody played an instrument. Sometimes the singers were amazing. Sometimes not. Not so much. So here's the question. Which is the right type of worship? 
Which one? The answer is both and, and neither. Both and neither. Both are acceptable and neither because there's even more ways to worship than just those two ways. There are limited ways uh, to worship our God and our Creator. So then the question is, which do you like? Or which do you prefer? Welcome to Swerve Church, where we'll give you uh, your musical style, whatever you choose. Just walk up to the karaoke machine, put a dollar in the machine, and we'll give you what you want. All right? which, is, which is the right answer? Which is the one that you prefer? And the answer is, it doesn't matter which one you prefer or which one you like, because the worship isn't for you. We worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Almighty God. And so worship is not about the style of music or the instruments that are used. It's not about traditional, liturgical, contemporary, or rock concert. Worship is not a style of music. Worship is about the condition of your heart. As a father, can you imagine if my kids got together for Father's Day and they said, you dads, think about this. If your kids came up to you and they said, Dad, we want to sing a song that we wrote about you to celebrate you on Father's Day. Do you think it matters to me if they sang a cappella or with instruments, if they harmonized or if they sang off key and bang pots and pans? Does it matter to me? No. They're my children. And I'd accept their gifts no matter what. And guys, God is our Heavenly Father. And He accepts our worship. Not determined by style of worship. What he looks at is our heart. So then the question we got to answer today is, how do we express our worship then? How do we express? What are some appropriate ways to worship Jesus? We understand that it's not about our preferences. We understand that it's not for us, but it's for God. But as we read the Bible, what are some of the ways that we read in the Bible that we can respond to the grace of God in worship? Now, let me just say that maybe you're visiting us today, you know, you're visiting us here today, or maybe you've never been to a church, or maybe you're a new Christian, and you, maybe you see some of us lift hands. And that doesn't make much sense to you. Maybe you hear someone shout or sing along. You know, maybe that doesn't make much sense to you. Hopefully, this is going to help you understand a little better. Here's four things that we're going to look at, you know, about how do we express our worship according to God's word. Number one in your notes, take out your message notes, guys, click that pen, and you can fill in some of these blanks and follow along. Here's the first thing. Sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we bow in reverence. And guys, this is the response that the wise men gave before Jesus when they brought their gifts to him. You know, Christmas time is coming up. Maybe you read the Christmas story and you see when the wise men came and brought gifts to Jesus, they bowed and worshipped him. They knelt down and they bowed before him in worship as the Son of God who removed the sins of the world. Look what the psalmist says. The psalmist, as well, he calls us to respond this way. Let's read this verse out loud together. It's Psalm 95, 6. Ready, go. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. See, kneeling or bowing is a posture of submission and reverence. Uh, you guys know this. Some countries around the world, they still do this to their rulers or their elders or the people in authority as a sign of respect. This is a posture of humility. The proud person does not want to bend the knee. To worship and bow down to Jesus is to humbly submit to him and to surrender your pride and to surrender your ego. If you find it difficult to do this, it may be because your pride needs to be broken. Or you've yet to see 
how desperately you need Jesus. Man, you know, uh, guys, I remember moments of desperation. For me, per- I'm talking about for me personally. I remember moments of desperation and complete surrender and dependence on Jesus uh, way before we even planted Swerve Church in the early stages. Uh, before we met in a school or before we met at the basement of the church across the street, when it was just a few of us crazy enough to believe, you know, God for a church to be planted in Bushwick. And I remember us in our living room, you know, worshiping to YouTube videos in our living room, falling flat on our faces before God and desperately crying out to him, God, build your church. God, plant your church. And that's what we would do. We would do. Sometimes we bow in reverence. Here's another thing, number two in your notes. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. And maybe you've seen some people do that here in worship, here at Swerve, or or you've been to a church where everyone has their hands lifted up. Some of you guys are like, well, how, how, you know, how do I lift my hand? Do I lift both of them up? Do I do touchdown? Do I carry the TV? You know, what do I, you know, what, what, one hand in my pocket, one hand up? What do I do? What, yeah, how big is my fish? What do I what do I do? Where do I put my hands? Are you trying to figure that out? Listen, this isn't some weird, kooky, charismatic thing. It's a Bible thing. And the Apostle Paul mentions it in 1 Timothy. He says, man, I, you know, I, I want men everywhere that they would lift holy hands in prayer. And the psalmist said it too. Read this verse with me, guys. I want you guys to read it along. Psalm 63, 4. Uh, it's in your notes on the screen. Ready, go. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. The lifting up of our hands, it's a sign of surrender. If you've ever seen an arrest take place, right, the cops will say, put your hands up. Why? Because it's a sign of surrender and vulnerability. And we lift up our hands and we say, God, I give it all to you. I give you my very life. I can't do this on my own. I surrender all to you. But you know why else we lift our hands? Because it's also a sign of victory. And we lift our hands. We we praise God that he is king and that he has made a way and that we are forgiven and that we are loved and that we are cherished and that we are welcomed into his family. And guys, and if it's so weird, then why do you all do it at sporting events? Whenever somebody scores a touchdown... Or when your team wins the championship. Yeah, right? You you lift your hands. How much more should we do it as an act of worship and as a sign of victory in Christ? Sometimes we lift our hand in adoration. Here's number three in your notes. And I believe this is for somebody today. Sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. Read this verse. This is Hebrews 13. Verse 15. You guys ready? Go. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. This is what some of you need to hear right now. Because maybe you're thinking, Danny, listen, I don't want to worship right now. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea the thoughts of anxiety in my head or the thoughts of depression on my brain. You don't know the issues that I have at work. You don't understand how my marriage is on the rocks. Or uh, you don't know the relationships and the hardships of going through that. Or you don't know how long I've been looking for a job or, and nothing is moving. And I don't want to worship right now. Guys, sometimes in the middle of all those difficult situations, 
What you need to do is offer up a sacrifice of praise. If you woke up this morning in the mood to or not, whether you think you feel God's presence or don't, whether you're experiencing pain or not. And guys, I think this is why the church is so important. And this is why it's so important that we push ourselves to get together, to not forsake the gathering of the believers, right? To do this and to force ourselves to do this so that we can encourage one another to do this. A sacrifice of praise means that we worship, that you worship when you feel him or when you don't. A sacrifice of praise means you worship him when the music moves you and even when it doesn't. A sacrifice of praise means you worship him when you feel goosebumps and the little hairs on the back of your neck stand up and when you don't. We worship him when we're joyful and we worship him in the middle of sorrow. Guys, our worship should not be based upon our circumstances. Our worship is based upon his character. And because God is God alone, I will offer up a sacrifice of praise despite of however I may be feeling in the moment. Sometimes we offer a sacrifice of praise. And number four in your notes, here's the last fill in the blank. Daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, read the next part of this verse with me together. Ready, go. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Guys, worship isn't simply something that we do. Worship isn't simply motions. Worship isn't simply music. Worship isn't simply what we do. A worshiper is who we are. At all times, whether you know it or not, we are worshiping at all times. The question is, who or what are you worshiping? What claims your adoration? What clamors for your praises? What draws your affections? Don't be mistaken. We worship at all times. The problem is we often worship the wrong person or the wrong thing. We are tempted to worship at the feet of success. We are tempted to bow down and worship pleasure. We are tempted to lift up our hands and worship celebrities and worship athletes and worship culture. We are tempted to sacrifice praise and worship relationships and worship boyfriends and girlfriends and friends and family. But there is only one who is truly worthy of all our praise and worship. And I'm going to invite you to respond to him in a moment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. And they're going to lead us in one more song. And as they do, let me tell you why we worship. We worship because we were dead in our sin and trespasses. We were hopeless and helpless and doomed for destruction and headed towards experiencing God's wrath. But we worship because God did not leave us in our pitiful state. We worship a God so full of love that he made a way for us to reconcile our relationship with him. The creator God enters his creation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived the sinless life that you or I 
were incapable of living. And he paid the debt that was owed you and me with his very life. And three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering the grip of Satan's sin and death. And for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, you can experience forgiveness of sin and a new life. Today you have the opportunity to respond to Jesus and surrender to Jesus and worship Jesus. Praise God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is and is to come, the one who removes our sin and makes us white as snow. And as the worship team leads us in the song of worship, you have an opportunity to respond with a worshipful attitude. And as we partake in communion, you can worship Him. And then you can worship in song and lift up holy hands and surrender and worship with a sacrifice of praise. And so guys, as the worship team leads us in this last song, worship Him in spirit and in truth. Bow down before Him. Lift up your hands. Sing a praise to Him. Go ahead and worship Him in communion. As I lead us in prayer, after I pray, communion is in the back today. If you're a follower of Jesus, go back and worship Him for the blood that is poured out, for the body that was broken, for you and for me. Guys, join me in prayer. Lord, we worship you today. No matter our circumstances, we lift up our hands, we bow in reverence and in humility, and we offer up a sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can partake of communion.